Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Why did you go there? I told you, it was not safe. Do you know these people? The man, he is her son. He helps. The woman, she practices the old ways. She's a bruja. They don't believe they can let you go. They have seen something inside you. A demon. in my food. I don't know what the heat is. You can't understand what you see now. This is insane. This isn't you. It's what's inside you. There is no demon, Christina. My name is Christina Lopez. I came to this place to die. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 363. Releasing August 25 on Netflix is The Old Ways, a horror thriller set in Veracruz, Mexico, where a reporter investigating tribal culture is kidnapped by locals who believe she is demonically possessed. A chilling and unique approach to the demonic possession horror subgenre, The Old Ways is written by Marcos Gabriel and directed by Christopher Alander. Well, I'm glad to say join me now on the podcast. Marcos and Christopher, thank you so very much for joining me today. Hello, yeah. Matt. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. And look, this is such an interesting film to me because I get a lot of horror films sent my way and, you know, ever since... I guess you can go as far as back as The Exorcist, but specifically, I think since Paranormal Activity, the whole kind of demonic possession kind of subgenre of films has been so very uh, popular um, amongst horror filmmakers. And this film, what I appreciate about it, is just so different compared to everything else. It's not your, you know, you know your father's or your grandfather's or your brother's exorcism movie. It's a different kind of movie there. And Marcos, I want to ask you first: How did that approach, that kind of wanted to do something fresh. How did that kind of come about um, specifically specifically in regards to this type of subgenre of horror films? Absolutely. Um, the Exorcist subgenre has been, like you said, so popular for a number of years and even more so. And yeah, it, it does get a little stale sometimes, you know, it always kind of follows the same kind of trappings of here's the Bible and here's the priest that comes in with a special order from the Vatican. And, you know, we, we knew we wanted to do something different um, entirely. So for this story, I drew back to some of my cultural roots. I was born in Puerto Rico and my mother had told me some really fascinating stories about brujas and brujerias and, and cleansings and things like that. And I was raised very Catholic. So I was more familiar with like, you know, the traditional exorcism yes. <laughs> route, but I knew that if we told a story from this different cultural point of view, 
suddenly everything would freshen up and we'd have an opportunity to not do the same kind of trappings, pardon me, the same kind of trappings that are normally in these movies. And the other thing we tried to do in it is, you know, every, there's usually a little bit of a distance in an exorcism story, meaning it's usually, you know, like a family dealing with a possessed person and uh, we don't really get their point of view the whole time. Whereas in this movie, we thought, It'd be really interesting if our protagonist, Christina, mm. we were with her and kind of trapped with her the whole time. So we see this thing growing and changing and evolving through her point of view, which we knew would also be kind of like thrilling and different and exciting. You know, Christopher, when it comes to this kind of delving into this kind of religious, theological, mystical kind of world, the whole kind of bruja um, kind, of, kind of thing, when you that's a whole, I'm sure, been a whole new kind of world to you to kind of dive into. What type of research do you, do you put into that? And was there perceptions about the whole thing that you had with going into it? And was there anything that kind of surprised you or changed your perceptions after going looking into it and and researching it and uh, and approaching it in a in a in a filmmaker storyteller kind of way? Uh, yeah, I mean, this. Um was an opportunity to do a ton of research. We, we, um, read a lot. We talked to a lot of friends and family and, and people who have kind of tangential relationships to the occult. And, um, we, we learned a lot. It was really, it was really interesting. And what was, I think the most, um, I guess liberating or surprising in the process was to find out that there wasn't like a playbook for, um brujeria or any of this type of um witchcraft um so there wasn't like we weren't penned in um to like some very specific rules about how this would play out mm. and we learned that a lot of the the brujos and brujas um just kind of cobbled together their own mysticism from their life experiences and their immediate surroundings so it was really fun to First, we kind of got in and just started finding like what are the like imagery and what are the practices that are drawing us in and are that are feeling cinematic and um, fresh and interesting. And we kind of had this whole grab bag of of stuff that we wanted to to touch on. And um, it was that helped us actually decide where uh, on the map this story was going to take place because we we really we're loving some of the stuff we were seeing out of Aztec culture and a lot of stuff that we were seeing from Mayan um, bits of Catholicism. Uh, then there's Afro Caribbean influences. So that kind of led us to a place down in Southern Mexico in Veracruz on the Eastern um, coast there where all of these things kind of run into each other and um, gave us this really rich palette to kind of pick and choose uh inspiration from as far as like what would the demon look like what are some of the practices she's doing what are the uh symbols and imagery that we're seeing so it was um the research really led us to the place because as marcus said he originally his inspiration came from puerto rico but um as we started piecing together everything we wanted to say in the movie uh, it led us further across the water to a, a different country altogether you know, Marcus, it's really interesting watching the film about, you know, 
ritual, symbology, all these kind of things are really important in religion and theology and such. In regards to what we're seeing in the old ways, um, especially in regards to this, this like text, there's books that these characters go through and you see different kind of symbols and different type of demonology kind of stuff in there. Is that stuff things that are based on actual myths in the whole kind of Bruja kind of culture or is that stuff that yourself and Christopher kind of not, I wouldn't say make up, but like kind of are inspired by what you research, where you add your own kind of flair to what's in regards to the world that you're, you're portraying in the movie. I think the latter is more true. Um, we certainly watched a lot of uh, any documentary footage we could find of Brujas and Brujos in the area, anything like the vice did some really interesting reporting that vice media did some great reporting down in Veracruz and Catamaco, which is the witchcraft capital of the world. Mm. So we would look at what these like, you know, places looked like and what these practitioners places looked like and all the different um, symbols and uh, statues and religious artifacts they would keep in there. And that was kind of the drawing of the first inspiration but then what we would keep pressing ourselves on was, since we are called the old ways, what were the practices beforehand? Mm-hmm. So we were, we would, that's where we were allowed to kind of, or allowed ourselves to kind of create a little bit more of our own mythology to think, okay, this is what people do now, but what did people do before? And what did it look like when it was even earlier and earlier? And, you know, we would, that lent itself to our demon design same thing where we were inspired by things that were in Aztec and Mayan cultures. And then we'd say like, but what if that person saw something that looked like that? And that's why they, let's say, elongated um, the skulls in, in different cultures or drilled jewels into teeth and things like that. So we were always trying to create kind of the source uh, material and, and, you know, certainly um you know, in within our books and our symbols on the walls, there are things that we were always inspired by um, different things we had seen, but we, we tried to give it our own um, flair because like we talked about earlier, we were really trying to not have the same symbology that we've seen before. So I don't think we have any pentagrams. <laughs> we have something that kind of looks pentagrammy. We mm. don't have a lot of crucifixes. We do have a little bit of that, you know, so we were always trying to go like, okay, if this feels like we've seen it in another movie, let's try to either twist it a little bit or remove it entirely. You know, Christopher, the, the role of Christina, who's the, the central figure in this movie, you know, it's a it's a role that has a really emotional intensity to it, but it's also like a physical endurance test as well. It really, really is. And you need to find the right actor for that role to kind of get both of those facets down. And I thought that... Um, Brigitte Carly Canellas was just so terrific in, in both of those facets right there. Is was it easy to try to cast that considering the what is needed to pull that off? Because I'd imagine that, you know, reading the script and then all of a sudden, you know, it comes across, you know, snakes slivering across the their body while bouncing the floor would be something that might be a bit of a, 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 a an obstacle in regards to casting someone right for the role. And how did it come about that Bridget was a person uh, that you found for that role? Yeah, I mean, you you really zeroed in on it. It was um, it was super difficult to find her. Our, our casting um, director, she brought in a, a bunch of really amazing people um, for all the other roles. I mean, she brought in lots of amazing people across the board. But like our first day of getting to come in and see the people in person, we found 
everybody uh, else. <laughs> it was clear as day when we found the Miranda character and the Avi character and, and Luce, the Bruja. Um, and it took us months to find who uh, Bridget ultimately came in um, because of what you're saying there. Like there was um, someone would, they'd do one scene and it was amazing. It would be super, super emotional and raw and, and great. And then you'd get to some of the more kind of tougher side of her personality and, and or the very physical side. Uh, and maybe they wouldn't be able to deliver on that or, or we'd find someone who vice versa. And we would always, we had our whole team of producers and writers that we would all kind of vote every time and we could get all but maybe one person on board uh with a couple of different uh performers and um we ended up having to push the movie uh shooting date two or three times um because we couldn't find the right person and it got to a point where we were going to have to push it again and that might have actually killed the movie because we had we were kind of getting close to what they call pilot season here where all the mm. actors disappear and they're making TV shows and uh, all the crew disappears because they're working on these pilots and we had people on hold and, you know, they, they can't just not work forever. So um, we were scared that we were going to lose it. And then in the 11th hour, she came in and really blew us away. And then we, we started, I just started giving her other scenes in the room that she'd never I think she'd read the whole script, but she hadn't certainly, she's very, um, she prepares a lot for everything. Like she's very committed and, and, um, she has like a very strong work ethic. So it kind of threw her for a loop where I was like, do this scene now and do this scene. I was like, and I was, you know, I was trying to (laughs) tell her, I was like, I know you haven't rehearsed this Let's. I just want to, I'm excited. Let's see if, if we found the right person. And, and, and it totally was, it was amazing. We all, for the first time, everybody unanimously agreed that she was perfect and and she has a very you know she has a very physical background she was very athletic um earlier in her career and she's so she just had everything that we needed and 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 when you talk about snakes and things like that i think we've done some interviews with her where she she read that stuff and was like okay cool they're gonna do a computer yeah computer's gonna do that right um and no we um you know pulled out real snakes on the day and um but she was game uh for everything she was very um method if you will i guess when it came to the more challenging um physical things like we would our art director would or prop master would design special ropes for her that had velcro so she could get out easily and all this stuff and she would send them away and say, no, just tie me up for real. I want, I don't, I don't want to pretend. I just want to fight it. Um, I'll let you know if I'm having a problem. <laughs> so time and time again, she did that. Like we had, we had, there's this whole thing at the beginning where they're pouring goat milk down her throat out of yeah. a giant jug. And we had, I mean, for, cause we also had a lot of time because we were waiting to find the right actor. We, we had a lot of prep time uh, consequently. So we had devised all these different contraptions to simulate pouring goat milk down someone's throat so it wouldn't be you know dangerous or anything and she was just like no just do it just we'll just do two takes but let's just throw it <laughs> let's just do it and i'm like are you sure that's saying that seems she's like no let's just do it although you know she was it had to be like almond milk but otherwise it was <laughs> <laughs> it was totally real 
Um, yeah, so she was a real, I mean, we got really lucky finding mm-hmm. her and, you know, that the schedules lined up and, and everything and um, just hit the ground running. We didn't have any rehearsal time really with her because it was like four days later or something after we cast her that we started filming. And um, yeah, we got, we got really lucky. I think we found someone who's about to become a big star and um, I hope everybody agrees when they see her. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. Her star is definitely ascending. I can definitely see that because all the work she's doing with all Star Wars stuff as well and all that. And this, I think when this movie hits on Netflix next week, a lot of people are going to be talking about her performance. I can see a lot of uh, social media. I can envision a lot of social media chatter in regards to specific scenes. And one of those scenes is we mentioned already the whole kind of snake scene amongst other kind of ritual scenes in the movie. And, you know, 363 episodes, even I haven't had a chance to ask a filmmaker yet, what is it like? To direct snakes, um, <laughs> I've, I've I've had all different types of, of animals, you know, your know, dogs and etc. Can a snake be trained? Is a snake handled to a certain way yeah, to music, make it do what it needs to do, or yeah. is there another element to the whole kind of thing? I was surprised, you know, because I, I have worked with lots of animals and um, have learned how, you know, what what isn't possible basically, and how to kind of come in prepared enough to deal with the x factors that you're going to get from um a non-human um so we had done a we did a ton of um prep for the snake scene we had i had drawn everything out uh with our storyboard artist or maybe myself i can't remember and we'd uh, the cinematographer and i had filmed it with rubber snakes and and our first ad and we had done everything we could with the understanding that like here's what we wish would happen here's what marcus wrote like the snake slides over here, goes over her leg, it licks the blood, it comes over her, you know, knee. All these things that we wish would happen. And then we kind of came up with a B plan of like, well, when that fails, here's how we're going to shoot it and we're going to cobble it together and post and and we'll have this, this backup plan. And um, the guy showed up with the snakes and and they did everything, everything we wanted. I mean, he was, they basically just go from point A to point B and... Um, he kind of 
prods at him <laughs> with his finger to, to kind of get him to keep going. Um, but they did everything we wanted exactly how we wanted. It was for us actually one of the easiest because we had done a lot of prep. It was actually one of the easiest days because it's like she was the camera really wasn't moving that much because she was tied to the floor and the snake guy was doing his thing and we had the game plan and we kind of were watching the monitor just in shock that it was happening exactly as as scripted. I mean, to the letter, it was really exciting and we didn't do there's no um, computer um, help at all in that scene uh, whatsoever. And um, it's all, all real. And the snakes are really doing what, what we wanted. And um, the guy showed up with these snakes. Yeah. I think he had three or four of them and he was like, okay, well, I'm here. I've got bad news though. The best, the biggest, best snake that we have, um, she started molting last night. So all of her skin looks normal, but her eyes are are the first things to kind of go. And, her eyes had turned white. Mm. So he was like very apologetic about these guys. I've got three or four more. They're all great. But this one, I was hoping we could use this one because it's the biggest and whatever. I don't know. Most well-trained snake, I guess. <laughs> and we were like, oh, my God, that's the best news we've ever heard. Because our Bruja has a white eye. And you'll mm-hmm. see in the movie, there's like a lot of white eye stuff. And uh, we were like, that's the best news we could have ever heard. <laughs> like, <laughs> Let's get that snake on camera right now. So, uh, yeah, just a lot of fortuitous stuff with these snakes it was um it was pretty awesome and she had never she wasn't like um she didn't have a snake phobia or anything but she she doesn't have bridget didn't have any experience with snakes and she had been raised like the rest of us to believe they're scary and (laughs) dangerous so it was kind of nerve-wracking for her and i was prepared to have her meet the snakes beforehand and pet them and see that they weren't poisonous and um she didn't want it she didn't want to see him at all before the scene. So when in the movie, when the first touches her hand, that's literally the first time she saw or touched the snake. And we have that footage in the cut and uh, it's pretty, I feel like it's, it's pretty convincing, (laughs) pretty real. It's look, I hate snakes. So I was like, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't coping to say that, but it's a great scene. And just how it came out, it was just uh, absolutely terrific. Um, You know, Marcus, there's something that really kind of struck me when, watching the film is that, you know, the whole kind of the horror element and the supernatural element is really important, but I think really the cultural elements toward always as well, especially in regards to the, the character of Christina in that, you know, she was, the character is born in Mexico, but she's basically made in America. She is a modern American secular woman. Um, the traditions of the of the of the old country and what didn't rub off on her to the point where when she returns back to her homeland she doesn't even speak the language at all like her mm-hmm. Spanish is just like you know not that strong whatsoever and I think there's a lot of people that can relate to stuff like that like mm-hmm. I myself um, my parents were immigrants they came to Australia in 1969 from Croatia they made we they made sure that we know our background and our history and they talk mm-hmm. the language but I'm not the best at it to the point at when I went back to Croatia a couple of times, I had no idea how, what people were saying to me and I kind of had to learn on the fly, you know. And I think that stuff's like really, it's going to, will strike strike a nerve with people. Did you go through a similar yourself? Like you said before, you are born in Puerto Rico, but I, I imagine a lot of your time was spent in the States. Did you yourself had to go through that sort of thing in regards to traditions, in regards to language as well, the same kind of stuff that I was talking about in regards to my own personal experience and also what Christina, the character, goes through as well in regards to her own connection to her homeland? 100%. I mean, that what Christina experiences 
that cultural divide and what you just described of your own in Croatia, that's the same thing for me. I mean, it's taken until becoming a grown up and returning back to Puerto Rico and reconnecting with some of those roots and retrying mm. to learn the language. I still speak terribly when I speak Spanish, but I can understand a little bit more. Yeah. Those are things that I used to feel very like almost ashamed of sometimes, you know, where mm. it's like, man, everyone else can speak the language and my sisters can, uh, my parents could obviously, and I couldn't. And I, for a while, I thought, I think I'm the only one who's like this. And then, I mean, when I was a kid and then as I grew older, as I grew older, I realized, oh, there's lots of people who share this same story from a lot of different places. And, you know, I, that's just what happens when we start spreading out. I mean, it's a very like, in that way, for people in the States in America, that's plenty of us are like that, right? From different places. And our parents have the connection. We eat the food and we we respect the music and we understand those things. Yeah. But when it's really like, am I really this identity anymore? I very much still identify as Puerto Rican. If someone is like, where are you? What are you? Puerto Rican. That's great. Yeah. But uh, I don't, you know, it's taking work to reconnect with that. So that was always like super important for the story. And, at, you know, sometimes when I wrote it, I was like, are people going to actually we got that note from some people who are like, it's not believable that she would have been from Mexico and not know Spanish anymore. And I was like, yeah, it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> you just don't like I know it's hard to believe, but it's once you're once you're kind of wrapped around a different culture and everyone else is speaking uh, English around you or different languages around you, then it is possible to kind of lose that. So we were trying to really explore um just the healing that can be found when you reconnect with people who know you from back then. So Miranda is Christina's cousin and it's someone that, you know, they have a bit of a not contentious relationship in the beginning, but they're a little distant, but there is a healing that's found in family there. There's a healing that's found in other people who, who share and understand your culture. And that's where she really starts to grow, uh, grow stronger and, and, and gain a lot of power in rediscovering that. Yeah. Um, you guys made this movie through Soapbox Films, which is a production company that you both made, and that's been around for, I think, like early 2000s now. And you guys do a lot of different stuff, films primarily among them. And I've seen a few of the other productions you guys have done, Waterroo Collection, The Wind. Both films I really enjoyed just as much as I like the old ways as well. When it comes to philosophies in regards to how you approach your filmmaking through, through Soapbox Films, uh, so far from what I've seen through your movies is genre-based horror specifically is that where you're going to uh, going forward with in regards to the films that you want to make as well is that the kind of philosophies you want to go forward with is that the films that you want to uh um promote and make through your production company yeah i mean horror really these days is kind of like the last <laughs> one of the last ways that we can get adult drama into theaters or in front of people um especially independent um on the scale that we've been making these films, which hopefully will get larger and larger over time. Um, and we can get, you know, broader and broader audiences, but Marcus in particular has got a very deep background in, in horror film love. And, um, I love almost anything that's got a kind of a world building or supernatural or, um, fantasy element to it. So that fits really nicely into the, um, horror uh and thriller world um but yeah you know we've just been trying to find unique interesting angles on stuff and um 
movies that we think we'd like to see and hopefully other audiences will agree with us. And um, we've injected ourselves into this horror community over the past, I don't know, six, seven years um, and all the midnight festivals and all that kind of stuff. So it's really coursing through our veins right now. Um, but we also do, we produce projects for the Muppets. And yes. <laughs> so we have a, we have two sides to our, to our coin for sure. Um, but uh, you know, they all kind of come back to storytelling and world building and there's always some special effects or a puppet or yeah. a animation or something going on. Cause all that, all that kind of like filmmaky fun is what draws us to making movies. And um, these are just good opportunities to do that. Yeah. I mean, that's really like we, why we're attracted or why I'm attracted to these genres, horror and sci-fi and things like that. It's just like everything when you're a kid and you're dreaming about making movies, it's all of that is like in that movie. Right. So it's like mm. props and visual effects and world building and like really just incredible cinematic things that are possible. Um, like I doubt we're going to make too many movies with like two people talking in a diner and falling in love and stuff like that, just because you can't get cool props out of that. Um, but it's really just, it's a celebration of, you know, everything you can do with movies and, in soapbox films, I mean, certainly one day, hopefully we'll be making larger and larger scale films, but at the scale that we are making movies currently and get to control a lot of it and, and make the stories we want to tell, these are the genres that are most, uh, that find their audiences best because horror audiences, especially and genre audiences, especially like if it's not on the screen, they don't, they don't dig it. But there can be very forgiving. Like you don't have to have, you can have rising stars in your cast. You don't have to have the the biggest cast available as long as it's like cool and good and, you know, hits the notes that they're hoping for and, and leaves them with something. Then there's a great opportunity to share it with more and more people. Well, look, from what I've seen so far of the work coming from your studio, the films look great. The craft is amazing. The cinematography is amazing too. So it's so great to see such great films coming out from Soapbox. And for everyone out there Thank listening, you. The Old Ways, August 25th, Netflix, check it out. I love this film. I love the fact that I can watch a movie like this because, as I said before, I get so many movies sent my way, especially horror films, and a demonic possession kind of thing is really paramount in, in, the, in those films. And to have something that approaches it in a different way and does it in, in, in such a different, unique way and to be very entertaining and look great and be great and be scary and a great performances as well. I, it was just a joy for me to watch. And I just want to thank you both for that. And thank you both as well, Marcus and Christopher, for joining me today. And um, hopefully when it comes to more pictures from Soapbox, we can talk in the future in regards to those as well. Would love to. Great. Yeah, thank you. Cheers.